Hi, everyone. Welcome to Trader Chats, unique perspectives from seasoned traders. I'm your host, Imran Laka, founder of Options Insight and 20-year professional options trader. As you might know, I became a trading mentor about three years ago, but I thought these conversations would be a great way for my students to gain valuable perspectives from some of the professional traders that I know and respect. I hope you enjoy the episode. Welcome back to Trader Chats, everyone. Today's episode is called Trading Single Stock Volatility. And the guest that I've got with me today is Simon Harris. He's a former equity derivatives trader that I had the pleasure of working with many years ago. Simon, thanks for coming on. Good to see you. Good to see you, mate. So uh, why don't we start with, you know, telling the audience a little bit about your background in markets, when you started, what you've, what you've done in markets, and just uh, how you got to become so good at trading single stock options. Very kind. Uh, uh, sure. I mean, I started back in 2000 um, as I got a job as a, as a market maker, which I guess most of your listeners and viewers will know what it kind of is in the option space. So, you know, making prices for professionals, for, for, um, for clients, et cetera, and for brokers in the street. Uh, I got that job in London for a US trading shop. And from there, I went on to trade for them in the US. I did a few years over there, uh, trade briefly on the floor. Um, and then I came back to London kind of for personal reasons and went into the the banking route, which is more what you describe as flow derivative trading. So that's primarily to clients. That's where we met. That's where we obviously met. Uh, and then from there, I guess I've spent the last 15 years kind of, uh, you know, mixing between different banks, doing similar things. But I, I have, you know, I went on to manage uh, the, the flow businesses uh, at several banks. I did some corporate trading, which is kind of the same thing, but it's large transactions, um, often for stake builders and things like that. Uh, did some light exotic trading uh, and kind of at full circle, went straight back to uh, to flow trading again at the end. And uh, and yeah, and now I'm currently left the market and trying some different things. Um, but yeah, that's the... Cool. And um, obviously, you know, I've been an index trader my whole career, pretty much. I've dabbled now and again in singles, but it's not really my mainstay. Um, so that's why, you know, I thought I'd bring you on because a lot of the action, particularly in the retail trading market these days, is in single stocks. And and I just wanted to pick your brains on having done it for so long um, and been in that particular niche in that space. How do you think about stock trading, right? As opposed, because I'm very macro focused. How do you think about stock trading? What drives your kind of idea generation? Is it technicals? Is it fundamentals? Is it positioning and flows? Is it combination of everything? And what do you find particularly useful to look at, basically? I think that would really help the audience. Well, I think the cool thing about single stocks is you've got stories, right? Index, it's very, like you say, it's very macro. Uh, you're very dependent on certain data coming out. Is it going to move the, the broader market? Is it not? I think the cool thing when I went to the US is I traded, I mean, there was over 2,000 stocks that had options on in the US. And I probably traded during my time there 800 of them. 
Um, yeah, we would typically have a book of three, four, five hundred stocks, mm-hmm. smaller positions across all of them. But what was cool is, especially having never been to uh, America before, then was I'd walk into a shop and I'd be like, ah, oh, okay, this is uh, yeah, this is Staples. <laughs> I, I, I just don't train this stock, and and you get a feel for it, and it's quite cool. So there's always mm-hmm. interesting things about stocks that 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 led me more interested to, to be a to a stock trader than just a pure index trader having said that i've also dabbled in index as well mm. um but i guess for me so i was trained um in by this us sort of prop shop market maker and they had a very rigorous training schedule and they taught you the theory first then they taught you the basis of of uh trading uh floor trading being able to quickly think about synthetic trading on, on on the floor and and you know what a call was versus a put and then you would trade upstairs as it was uh with looking more at volatility and you had to sit with a with a trader for for probably a month until he signed you off and you were ready to go so the training mm-hmm. was fantastic and that kind of training really was more volatility based so you were looking for uh arbitrages in the vol space you were looking for edge either buying or selling give, give us an example of what you'd consider an arbitrage then in, in, in vol so i mean it's not pure arbitrage it's right? not That's- pure arbitrage no 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 it's, it's it's not pure arbitrage at all but if effectively as a single stock trader and an index trader you are trying to buy and sell vol um that you think will either go up or down or will realize a different level of vol. So if uh, I remember in 2003, 2004, every vol was a sale. Every vol, it was a it was a grinding market higher. Mm. And essentially, something, something might have traded on a, a 25 vol, but it moved on a 20, right? So that meant you could capture that five vols. If you sold it and, and, and hedged it efficiently, mm-hmm. you could essentially capture that five vols. So it's not a pure arbitrage. Okay. But the model we would use is that we would we would look for longs as well to off, offset that. So if you had a volatility that also moves on a 20, but you could buy that one on a 21, you were kind of willing, if you thought the stocks were in some way correlated, you were willing to lose your point there to make your five somewhere else, just so that you're hedged, you know, in case vol exploded and everything moves on 30, but you're trying mm-hmm. to capture, that's what you're trying to kind of up. So my my original training was really purely based on on looking at vols. It was looking at uh, some skews and it was looking at relative value, but all in the vol space. Mm-hmm. And back then, twenty years ago, I mean, and it still is the case in the US, but liquidity was huge. Mm-hmm. And the vol space had a lot of opportunities. When I uh, moved uh, back into Europe and I went onto the flow side, that's when. When you work at a bank, you have a wealth of research opinions. You have specialist salespeople. You've got salespeople. And you can start to learn a lot more about actual stocks. Okay, Mm -hmm. And you also, your trading style kind of has to change because of the nature of the people you're trading against. Mm. And potentially you get into positions, because you're a client trader, you get into positions you don't necessarily want. As a prop trader, Mm. Uh, and even to agree as a market maker you only put risk on that you really really want as a as a as a client flow trader it's quite possible that you're putting positions on that you know you wouldn't have liked to put on if yeah. you had a, had a clean book so it forces you to express 
opinions in delta views and and take more delta risk so when, when simon talks about delta risk we're talking about directional risk as opposed to just pure volatility risk right so for those of you who don't know delta is the greek associated with your directional exposure to the asset um so you know that sometimes as a as a flow trader you get put into a volatility position and you're kind of defending it by taking a strong view in the direction because if you do get a move at least if you've got your directional view right you've kind of protected some of the that movement and some of that PL basically right so just thought i'd clear that up for the audience <laughs> nice. i mean so and in that seat you're actually you are you're immersed in a huge amount of information because there's a lot of smart people out there. there's lots of smart clients out there so if you see three four who you you brand as smart people doing the same trade and they're all going long you know xyz stock then maybe there's something there and and it gives you the the uh you know the idea that maybe you could put some risk on uh and run it so i kind of went from being more of an expert vol trader into then learning the mechanics of how to to put on more delta risk or directional risk and and that's been evolving over the last 10 15 years and it uses a mixture really so you use the option market to give you some opinion of where people think stocks will go you know back uh back last year when all the the, the so-called meme stocks were exploding Mm. And, and tech in general is exploding you could see all the upside calls being bid in the market they were, they were telling you something mm. you're using research you're using fundamentals on you know on stocks which tend to be a longer time horizon mm. but they're still important and and more importantly you're looking at probably event risk that's upcoming so you, you want to get a view of what the earnings will be the next in the next period which you you use the research for and then on top of that, probably as important, if not more important, is the positioning in the market. So what are actually people doing? What positions have they got on? And you, you learn that through, you can see in, in the options market, you can, you can learn when you're in a, on, a, on a flow desk, the kind of positions that are out there, talk to clients. Mm -hmm. And that's really important because stocks and markets, obviously, you know, can, can have big moves, but the biggest moves don't normally happen because of an event or fundamentals, they're exacerbated by positioning. Yeah, very true, very true. I mean, I think the whole positioning thing used to be information that was really reserved for the people, you know, behind the curtain, right? At the banks or the big funds and that they'd, they'd be privy to that information, like where the big, big structural longs or shorts were that create this kind of, um, snowballing effect let's say in, in in the moves right but i think over the years over the last few years a few people have come to the come to the fore who are actually providing that information for retail which is incredible right so spot gamma who i partner with um basically that is what they do right they they look through all the open interest data they look at all the daily flow information and and they try to paint you a picture of where that those pockets of positioning lie either in the major indices or in, in the single stocks with it, where there's volume. And that kind of gives the retail traders some of that look and some of that insight to help identify where those big moves and outsized moves might happen. Um, and I don't think that was around five years ago. Yeah. No, certainly. I don't think it was. Uh, I mean, the wealth of information out there now for retail traders is incredible. Yeah. And, and the access to it is, is in many cases free, you know, there's, there's, there's. Or very cheap. 
yeah. or very cheap. Exactly. There is there is a lot of there's a lot of information out there now to 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 to, to get that helps people. You know, the, some of the trading platforms they provide some, you know, uh, some technical tools, some mm. uh, some data on open interest and things like this. And yeah, the vol is the vol analytics, right? Yeah. Or there was nowhere where you could get vol analytics where you could have a really informed decision about what to, whether, you know, as trade with respect to the volatility characteristics, not just, but I mean, you've had, you've had technical analysis and you've had charting software out for a long time, but I mean, I use interactive brokers as my retail trading platform and they've got a great vol analytics tool, which again is similar to the type of stuff we had on Bloomberg in a bank or institution, right? I honestly don't think, uh, you know, having worked in several banks, I don't think that uh, the, 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 uh, some of the tools they have are much better than you can get on a retail platform. Mm. Not anymore. Yeah, yeah. I mean, years ago, the smart people were ahead of the curve and it was more like an arms race in terms of you know, who was going to be the, mm. the winner in terms of the best tech. But I think now it, it's, it's, it's readily available across the, across the, mm. across the street. So. You mentioned uh, the meme stock craze, right? Um, and obviously that was, that was, that was really going strong in, in 2021, early 2021. I mean, do you think that has made it easier or harder to trade single stock volatility? Do you think that's had a, a sustainable impact? Has it changed the way you need to think about stuff? Uh, what do you reckon? I think that obviously, particularly in the US, retail represents a massive portion of, of daily trading. And I think that's been growing steadily for the last couple of years. I think there's probably an element of the pandemic, people are at home. Actually, some people didn't perform that badly financially during the pandemic. They're being paid to be at home. So they're sitting there, what do we do? Let's trade some options. Yeah. Now, as a as a vol trader, I think it provides potentially a lot more opportunities because for vol to be out of line requires volume. So, you know, if in the old days, it's still probably the case, you could there were these recommended options. People would say, you know, there'd be a, it would be in a magazine somewhere or, or on a platform that said, this is the best option to buy, the 55 call in, in, in June. Right. And you could see these options trading in retail size and they would tick up, tick up, and, and the market makers would just slowly move the vol out. And then when the volume stopped, the vol would come back in. Yeah. And it just pushes it. So you, 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 you might end up with, uh, one by two potentials, uh, calendars, different kind of vol trades because these these options get out of line based on on the on the flow. So yes, when retail trade, it provides potentially decent vol opportunities because retail don't tend to be that vol savvy. They just mm -hmm. want to buy the options for for direction. Yeah. yeah, and that's the kind of great flows. Having said that, the sheer uh, volume. Of some of these uh, retail firepower, the firepower fire when they when they collectively, you know, move, <laughs> it's ridiculous. You can and get actually, run over, right? You, you get run really over. run over. So it is. Whilst it has increased the opportunities, it's undoubtedly increased the risk. I mean, mm. the fact that you know some of these socks they've effectively taken down large hedge funds, you know. Yeah. Yeah, and, and push their positions, which, which you know, in the old days was unheard of. So you definitely want to not have unlimited downside when you're trading some of these things. That's, mm -hmm. that's, that's the given. You want to be smart about how you do it. 
Mm -hmm. I think in, uh, as I said, there were some of the tech stocks last year when, when, the, when the calls were incredibly bid uh, to the upside, there was huge opportunities on ratio spreads and things like that with, with ridiculous break-evens. Yeah. In, in big stocks, in the kind of stocks that weren't going to move, you know, 20, 30% or 50, 100%. Right. Some of the smaller stuff, yeah, you may want to be very careful. Yeah, but I mean, the problem with all these meme stocks, though, is most of them are down 80% now. And, uh, and that call volume is evaporated, right? Goldman's put out some numbers a week or two ago, just showing the, the collapse in retail flows and activity, right? So is that, is that craze gone now, or do you think it comes back? I think everything's cyclical. I think it's probably gone for now, because a lot of people have been wiped out. And, you know, they're waiting for the next opportunity. And that's, it won't be the same thing again. It really is. But... I'm sure the, the volume will come back at some point. We're obviously in a, in a, in a depressed market at the moment. Mm. And let's be honest, some people make out very well in these markets, but most people lose. You know, so it does, it does, take, it does tend to push retail traders out for a period. Why don't they buy puts? Why don't they retail buy puts? They never buy puts. <laughs> <laughs> I'm going to have to teach them to buy puts, aren't I? I guess. Okay. Okay. Anyway, um, you mentioned earnings. Now, this is a big one because you don't really have earnings in index, right? I mean, we have some big macro data points every now and again. You have elections, you have central bank meetings, right? That's our equivalent of earnings, but it doesn't move an index by 10% or more. Um, whereas singles, that's what it's all about, right? So how do you think about earnings? Is there like a systematic overpricing of earnings, for example, going into a, a date? I suspect there might be, but you, you've traded it. You know more. Enlighten me. Yeah, historically, this is a this is um, something where I spent a lot of time and relatively successfully traded earnings and earnings events. Mm -hmm. uh, but in the past, in terms of systematic overpricing, that was definitely the case. I mean, if you think about an earnings event, it's it's sort of an unknown. It's an uncertain. So you tend to get. Uh, stockholders potentially trying to hedge their positions over that period mm -hmm. and they don't want to take their stock off so they might buy some puts they, they might buy a you know a strangle whatever but they well they might just generally buy some vol uh other people speculate they speculate as the stock would go up or down they tend to prefer to speculate with long options so what tends to happen is the vol gets bid up mm -hmm. because you're anticipating probably a bigger move than your average daily move Mm -hmm. So, yes, the vol will get expensive. The problem is now, I mean, 15 years ago, you could almost sell 90% of, of earnings moves via options and make money. Mm -hmm. But people cotton onto that. When it's that easy, you know, edge collapses and more people come into the market. So mm -hmm. it's certainly not the case anymore. You have to probably be 50-50. You have to own some, some earnings. You have to be short some earnings. It right. really helps to know the stocks. If you do have that edge of having a research guy that knows this particular event is a is a bigger one than the last one, but essentially what you're doing is you're you're looking at history. You're, you look at you could the, the information is ready available. You can look at the last eight, twelve earnings events. Mm -hmm. You can maybe weight them uh, to the previous ones uh, if you wanted to more heavily. Most recent ones, you mean? Most recent ones and. You know, maybe you know something extra about this one and you want to put a little bump in there as well. So you can, mm. but the problem is there's a lot of professionals doing this now. So to have that extra edge, 
you probably need to know a little bit more specifically about the stock because a lot of these professionals are just doing it they're just number crunching that's all they're doing right they're, they're doing exactly what i just said maybe a little bit more sophisticated but if you then know oh hang on a minute i know that there's a new iphone coming out it's going to be announced this one it's not priced in this is going to be a bigger move than, than the last four then you can take advantage of that so i don't think there's a systematic overpricing anymore mm -hmm. and i do think that in the last couple of years in particular you've seen single stock uh gamma events really tick up so it could yeah, be quite even in big big stocks like facebook and netflix 30% on earnings like it's madness yeah. right walmart the other day right 30% or 20% Target. Yeah, they're, huge, they're, they're huge stocks. They're not, they're, they're not small stocks, right? No, that's an incredible amount of market cap that's, that's, that's changing. Yeah. And for it to be that materially different than the market expected is, is pretty See, this is where it's This is where, for me, it's, it's as much positioning as everything else, because I, I, I do not believe that they can be that significant and not that well-known. So this is where positioning will come in and play an effect. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. Interesting. But I mean, clearly, it, yeah, it does seem to me, I agree, like anecdotally, that there's been some big examples of cheap optionality into earnings on singles because the moves they're coming out with, some of these names that, I mean, when they miss, they get really punished. It oh, seems yeah. like we're in that market where bad earnings are disproportionately punished to the downside and good earnings are like, yeah, whatever, right? Yeah, this kind of market, that makes sense, yeah. Yeah. So, you know, if you are, I mean, it's a bit late now, earnings season's kind of coming to a close, but, you know, maybe same thing happens next quarter, right? Where we're in that market where if you think there's certain stocks that are at risk on earnings, they're going to get punished to the downside. So maybe- yeah, It all depends how stocks go into uh, into the events as well. How they trade up some stocks, you know, might be bid up the day before just because, and then they've got that extra further bit to fall if they, if they miss. Mm, yeah, that definitely needs to- be taken into account. Okay. Um, and then the other thing I wanted to ask you was um, dispersion trading. It's probably mm -hmm. not something a lot of retail people know or understand very well. Um, I've dabbled with it a little bit myself earlier on in my career. Never really did that much with it. But just is that something that, as a single stock trader, is that something that you just have to be all over and understanding and looking at? Um, and for people who don't know what dispersion trading is, is when we're talking about you, you own single stock volatility and, and you sell index volatility against it. And the idea is that you benefit from stocks moving around a lot, and it, even though the broader index doesn't need to do much and you're kind of funding some of that theta bleed and time decay that you pay for owning single stock vol, you're funding it with index vol because you think stocks can go up, stocks can go down and they can disperse and they can do more than what their implied vols are pricing in but the index can kind of flatline and go nowhere, basically, right? So it tends to be quite a nice trade and have some quite positive characteristics. But from your experience as a single stock guy, is that something that you got involved with a lot? And, and how was your experience of it? Okay, so I've, yeah, I have run, I've run pure dispersion books. And when I say a pure book, I'm talking about an index versus its exact components in, in the weightings that they are represented. And that used to be popular with hedge funds. You know, it probably still is to some degree, but that was popular. 10 15 years ago mm -hmm. so I've, I've done a lot of that your, your staple position really as a as a flow trader uh, on stocks is really to own stocks and to fund it by some short index or short sector index or short etf in the us and it typically is a pretty decent strategy 
it it does. I mean, correlation tends to be um, implied correlation tends to be overpriced. A little bit like you know, index vol tends to be overpriced. So you can look at it in two different ways. You might just be making the money on the short index leg, and not much happens in the stocks. But like we talked about recently, people can make a fortune on on some of these stock moves mm-hmm. um, in in the gamma. So yes, it is definitely something you need to uh, be aware of. It um, it tends to not be traded in its purest form now. So uh, like I say, on a flow desk. You just want the general look of a long single stock book and a short index book that reduces your funding. But you really, the, the technical guys will be looking, like I spoke about at the beginning, finding technology that the, the tools that allow you to find the cheapest vols and things like that. You'd be looking for the best options, probably globally. Some of these guys run global books. So they might have 50, 100 positions in the US, maybe 50 in Europe. And they'll look for some of the better, broader indices to sell against them. So they're not completely correlated they're not clean they're not like not very clean yeah but they tend to work okay right the issue with uh, a book like that is it's very very noisy in terms of your pnl yeah well i was going to say because the size of your index the size of your index short leg is so enormous yeah. right generally right? so you know you have one day where index files are marked up and single stocks are not or even marked down you can you can have 30 40% of your yearly pnl in a daily swing yeah. so it's it's very noisy but it does tend to be a a good trade every year but you you need some capital to do that trade yeah so in terms of sharp ratios it's horrible it's right? horrible right it's horrible. sharp yeah. ratios yeah where you look at the volatility of your pnl and your annualized expected return over a year uh, divided by that volatility right that doesn't yeah. look great right yeah. And then you also got all sorts of other complications where like what delta should you run? Because the, the index vol, the skew in index is different to the skew in singles. And so if the market just kind of trades down by 10 or 20%, do it you ride up? It gets very technical. In the old days, you would trade products like bar swaps and things which made it slightly easier, but they still had delta implications. But yeah, it can get very technical. Yeah. Uh, it's not really for your retail trader. No, no, definitely not. Definitely not. But it's it's just interesting to kind of understand and know what it is, basically, I would say. Absolutely. Uh, I mean, the way I would, and, and I never did this, but I always said this whenever I was at a bank and I was talking to dispersion traders and that a lot of them would hedge their books on a daily basis. And I was like, surely the real money in dispersion to be made is where you just say, right, I own a load of single stock, I'm short a load of index. And I think over the next three months, a few sectors are going to go up a lot and a few sectors are going to go down a lot. And I'm just going to let them go. Right. Because if the index is the same, roughly the same in three months and you have had financials up 30% and I don't know, tech down, whatever, 30%, you've killed it because you've let, you've let those exposures run that you've grown into and you've actually made some real money. Whereas I feel like doing it every day on a daily basis, the amount of money you actually capture isn't that much. And the real juice is in like letting those trends play out, basically. But that's just a... Potentially, if there are trends, I mean, obviously doing it daily increases your uh, your costs, your trading costs, which mm. can be lumpy. But it depends how you initially, how you value the trade. If you look at, if you are identifying a trade and evaluating it on daily vol... Mm. <laughs> you've got to trade it on daily vol. really trade it on daily vol to be disciplined because you yeah, don't that's... really know what's going to happen so if you're looking at correlation you're looking at daily vols yeah 
it, it really should be done. But you're absolutely right. There's probably potentially more money to be made in certain type of markets where yeah, but you've got to do the analysis. You got to you got to make sure you own the sectors that you believe absolutely. can trend significantly, right, and decorrelate. I guess right. So when I traded years ago, and as in the US, we would trade a book that we only hedged once a week. And we 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 ran the the figures on once a week vol, so mm. it made sense. But you know there'd be a day. Let's say we hedged it on Thursday, and the stock had been up ten percent up until the Wednesday, mm. and then just before we hedged it, it, it fell eight percent. You know, and it was oh, should have hedged it yesterday. It, it, it can you know of course, of course it can it can the market always finds a way to screw you over. It does. That's its job, basically, right? Uh, but there are some, like, there's some interesting times where, you know, um, an example would be around the Trump election. Basically, I remember I had guys sitting next to me who had dispersion books on in the in the SMI, right, of all indices, right, and uh, because they were quite heavy weightings in certain stocks, right. You had a bunch of big healthcare names, you had a bunch of big financials, um, things like that, and then. It was like you got a load of rate volatility come on the back of the election, yeah. and suddenly those sectors completely do the opposite thing, right? Yeah. Yeah, and, yeah. And, and it's like really that dispersion trade was a long rates bowl trade. It wasn't yeah. a, it, it, that was what was going to drive that dispersion basically, right? So yeah. it's quite technical, but like you can often find opportunities where the makeup of an index in sector wise is such that if you get a load of volatility in oil or the dollar or whatever those sectors that make up that index are going to do opposite things and so the trade to actually have the most value on that on that opinion of volatility in rates or whatever is to put a dispersion trade on right so i found yeah. that quite interesting yeah it's pretty smart yeah observe that all right um so we don't want to go on too long um lastly you know obviously you've had 20 year plus career, right? Similar to myself. I think we started actually pretty much the same time. Um, what, are, what are the things that really stand out uh, in terms of things that, that have happened in your career, like events in the market or trades that have happened and that really surprised you and really stood out in your memory? Like you're never going to forget that basically. Like what, are there any like war stories I like to call them that, that kind of really stick out in your mind? Look, it's probably the same for a lot of people. For me, having traded through kind of 2008-2009, because I hadn't really seen that before, that stands out for me massively. I mean, obviously, when we trade, I traded through the pandemic as well, and we had similar moves, bigger moves in many cases. But I'd kind of seen it before, if you like. So, and it wasn't, it didn't feel as bad in 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 our world as it did back in 2008. So. Having seen the market right up, right into that period, and having been the uh, you know the bank's trader, um, that's right. You, know, you traded financials at the time. I traded financials, and that's wow. where the action was. It really you know, was. To yeah. see, you know, when when I guess when Lehman went under, that was the the, the straw that broke the camel's back, and and it was phenomenal trading times. I mean, most flow businesses made money then, not all of them, but um, Obviously, most people didn't make money then, and it was just to, some of the moves, some of the things we, we we saw, some of the vols where they went to, you know, I think Eurostox was at eighty vol, uh, just when it when when it normally is probably you know in the low teens. Yeah, but really, the I mean, I found it fascinating. Like 
the banks did nothing from like 2005 to 2007. They were one of the lowest vol sectors ever. Absolutely. And then in 2008, they're moving on 100, 200 volt, basically, right? It was unbelievable. Yeah, it was incredible. You know, we saw Northern Rock go under in the UK and it had been a takeout target two months earlier. You know, it was like, is it going to go to £10? No, it's going to zero. It, it was... <laughs> and literally some of them went to zero. That's the funny thing. Like we, we, we laugh and joke about when it's going down. Yeah, it's going to zero. It's going to zero. But they were going to zero. Some of these yeah, absolutely. major, major corporations that have been around for decades or whatever went to zero. Right. It so. was, it was, it was, it was scary time for, for, you know, sort of selfishly, it was fun times. It was busy. It was hard. But yeah, we 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 learned a lot there, and we saw so much, and it was it was it was great to trade in. Uh, the other kind of one that sticks out was uh, was similar to what happened, I guess, with the, with the meme stocks, which was which was Volkswagen, mm. uh, which in the same kind of era, you know, became the largest company in the world for a couple of days. That's insane, isn't it? On the basis of really technicalities, you know, and 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 derivatives had a big part in that because Porsche were uh, accumulating a stake in Volkswagen, it turned out bought all these cash settled options. Um, so they effectively had access to about another, I don't know, 30% of the stock, and they already owned 40% of the stock. So then the free float dried up, 20% of the stock was held by one big, um, you know, one big shareholder who wasn't going to sell. So the, the free float became nothing. It was a very heavily shorted hedge fund name. Uh, because everyone knew it was overvalued because Porsche had been buying it up. And all of a sudden there was, you know, when, when your shorts get called in and everyone's clambering to buy back, you get, uh, I think it moved 216% in one day. But how were Porsche allowed to do that? How were they allowed to own such a large stake in the company and then buy a load of calls and corner the market in that way? Surely that's market abuse, right? Well, I do think they were, they were sued, but I don't think, um, I don't think they lost that case. Uh, they, they, they claimed that that wasn't what they were doing. They were just trying to manage position. It was, it was incredible. It was incredible because it was a huge, huge stake in, in cash settled, of course. And, and actually cash settled options in general can provide all sorts of shenanigans uh, when it comes to expiries. Um, I'm not yeah. sure. If, I mean, we obviously, you, you will have covered in your courses cash settled options because they're index options, but in single stocks, if you consider, if, a, if an option's hedged 100% by the time it gets to expiry, because it's in the money. Mm, there's nothing that happens at expiry, basically, right? It's just- Well, no, it, 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 so you would have to take off that hedge in the auction, because you've already hedged it 100%, but that, it goes into cash, so it doesn't go into the shares, so you have to unwind that. So if that, if that yeah. happens to be a very large position, in index, it's fine, because you trade in the auction in, you know, everyone's doing it there's, there's there's two positions but and we've had a few where you know we we probably pushed stocks up 15 percent in an auction wow yeah which the single stocks have a choice to, to do trade. really the single stocks don't tend to trade cash settled right so that's quite unusual well, it's it's not that common yeah but it, it, it's happened in a few stocks i've seen i've seen i've seen microsoft move 15 16 percent in an auction before on the basis of a, of a cash settled option Right, it's it, they're out there, and it's it's not that common, but, um, but they're only OTC, right? They can't absolutely. be absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, ninety nine percent be OTC. So mm. OTC be, being over the counter as opposed to listed on exchange, right? So okay, 
anyway, mate, that's that was awesome. Thanks, thanks for that. Um, before you go, uh, we got some exciting news. Uh, now that you know who Simon is, um, he's actually going to be providing uh, a course on our platform, Options Insight, um, and it's going to be a single stop options masterclass. Um, he's trying his hand at teaching, um, following in my footsteps. <laughs> we'll see how he gets on. Uh, but, you know, I couldn't think of anyone else um, I'd want to learn single stock options from, right? So I think, you know, he's going he's gonna to put together a little course. It'll be a lot shorter than my boot camps, which are very sort of comprehensive and cover a lot of material. This will be quite focused on single stock options and, and kind of the main talking points there and what, what to be aware of and how to think about it. Uh, but I think it will really help a lot of retail traders out there who are using options in singles to, to play the market and uh, structure their views. I think it will really kind of help guide them, basically. So watch this space because that's coming uh, next month. Anything you want to say before we close out? No, I'm just I'm excited to uh, to deliver that course. Um, it's you know, it's something I've, I've effectively been teaching people single stocks for years, but never kind of in a retail environment. And it'd be great to show people, you know, some of the nuances mm. and how to use them uh, to, to kind of improve your trading, improve your risk management. Um, so it's exciting. Great, mate. Well, thanks for coming on, man. And I'll chat to you You're soon. Welcome. All right, take care. Cheers, guys. Bye. Thanks for joining us today. I hope you enjoyed the episode. To learn more about Options Insight and our trading community, please visit us at www.options-insight.com or you can subscribe to our YouTube channel and also follow us on Twitter at options underscore insight. Until next time, thanks.